This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. Is the Premier League in danger of petering out just before the big finale? City's hammering of walls mean they've probably won the league. Kevin De Bruyne can hit a ball, can't he? Will Erling Braut Haaland even get a start? Liverpool scratch a win at Villa just to keep in touch. Meanwhile, Leeds' determination to implode carries on at home to Chelsea. Dan James in the Luke Ayling role last night while the Blues all but wrap up their Champions League spot for next season. Everton's point at Watford could prove valuable. Some solace for those who won't get those two hours back. Also today, humble pie from Celtic fans Jim Burke after Ange Postacoglu won the title. Who else is pretending not to be following the Wagatha Christie trial but reading every line? All that plus your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, John Bruin, welcome. Hello, Max. Uh, former lead centre-forward and pundit for basically everybody, Lucy Ward. Hello, Lucy. Hi, Max. A pod debut. Uh, are you, are you, is this as nerve-wracking as your Leeds debut or not? Mm, this is probably a bit more. I'm sweating now at searching for some headphones, but other than that, I'm all right. Um, and uh, this is from Lawrence Barry, who says, in response to Barry's tweet about yesterday's non-recording, are you trying to dump him by silence like Polly Perkins did to me when I was 16? Harsh on Barry, I think. Yes, sorry, Barry, we didn't tell you about there being no pod yesterday. Do you forgive us? I do forgive you. Um, I, I hope I'm not being ghosted out of the pod picture, but um, I think we should just show, as you suggested on the WhatsApp group, we should shove the production team under the bus for not telling me about yesterday and not telling Lucy she would need headphones. All right, here we go then. Let's start at uh, Molyneux Wolves 1, Manchester City 5. City 5 shots on target, 5 goals, and some good ones from Kevin De Bruyne, 4, in fact. Uh, who, Barry, is really good at football? I knew you were going to do this. <laughs> I was trying to do I said, Max is going to go, yeah, Kevin De Bruyne's quite good, isn't he, Barry? And the answer is yes. We we knew he was good and he proved it again last night. Um, three left-footed sh- uh, goals. You know, he's, he's bad in inverted commas foot. His vision is incredible. I'm a huge admirer of him as a player. And I, I remember when I first came across him, I... I didn't think he looked like a footballer. He just looked too young and wafy and like a gust of wind would blow him over. But um, he can score, he can assist, he can provide and he's one of the best players I've ever seen in the Premier League. Um, actually, Lucy, do you, I think he still doesn't really look like a footballer, but not because he's a waif. He's got quite sort of big hips for a footballer. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Do you know what? I think that's one of the best things about him as well because you you look at him and he's he's sort of normal, if that makes sense. And so when you look at him, you've got this this idea that perhaps if you were a footballer or still a footballer, then you would be as good as him because he just looks normal, but you've got absolutely no chance. He's unbelievable, isn't he? And I think he's I think he had a dip at some point in the in the season, but um I think his dip is everybody else's maximum. So um he's coming back into form, isn't he? Actually on that subject of uh, you know, people you thinking you could do it, I can't remember who posted a tweet about after Haaland signing, you know, how many goals would you get for Manchester City? If you played every game, not and you weren't substituted, and so you played every minute, and then the kind of the knowledgeable football answer was you wouldn't score any. And I, there is a part of me that thinks that just, you know, at a corner by accident, I might get one. I mean, Lucy, you you played at a higher level than any of us. Yeah, is none. it none? Is it none? Absolutely none. Yeah. Do you know what? There's this perception, and, and I, you know, I've had obviously. You can imagine some of the interesting conversations I've had with men over the years who would have made it, would it not have been for a broken toenail or the mum not taking them to trials or whatever it is. And you cannot believe, even the lads that that, that I've looked after over the years who are who didn't get a professional contract and not in football anymore are miles ahead of, of of anything you could dream of. So these lads in the Premier League, it, you know, it might be that the ball might drop in front of you, but the defender, you know, is a, a little bit of quicker thought. That is a, a real fallacy that you're anywhere near a professional footballer. They're that much better than everybody yeah. else. Oh, no, no. I mean, I know I'm nowhere near. I just think I might get one. I might I might get one by accident, you know, just sort of by just, just by sort of, you know, like 
osmosis or erosion or something might happen. But yeah, I, I, I take your point. John, is this the uh, is this the title done now? Um, yes, yes. Uh, West Ham and Villa don't really present too difficult uh, a schedule for Manchester City. They only need three points, really, don't they, because of that goal difference. Um, on the subjects of De Bruyne, um, he has, uh, I think, what Brian Clough referred to as a big bum, uh, which helped him. Mark Hughes had one of these as well, where certain players and maybe just Lionel Messi, you know, just that it just Kenny Dalglish as well. That was that was who Cluffy was referring to. You know, so he said the phrase is you know, he had a a smile like Clark Gable and a big bum and played like a dream, and that that's that's De Bruyne really. Um, my, my friend Richard Jolly, we were chatting the other day, and he said that he thought that the player De Bruyne is most like his Steven Gerrard. I think that's fair. Uh, but he's a slight, he's a slightly more technically gifted Stephen Gerrard. Don't take offence, Liverpool fans, because I think Stephen Gerrard had a bit more drive and superhero status than that. But that's that's the type of player, isn't it? And it, there has been this question over the last few days since the Madrid game of this this idea that there isn't a leader in the Manchester City team, and that Pep uh, is so controlling that they can't do anything without Pep's. Um, Say so. Well, De Bruyne goes a bit against that, doesn't he? Because he really takes up the mantle. And in that game, City were a little wobbly in defence, you have to say. But when you've got a player like De Bruyne that can take it away from Wolves, the game is won and you've got to say the title's won too. So, Max, I was just thinking if having a big ass is like a, a factor, Baz, then perhaps, <laughs> you know. <laughs> now, hold on a second. You've never seen my arse, and it's actually quite pert, like two eggs in a hanky. So I would ask you to retract that remark. If I made a comment like that, I'd be cancelled. Yeah, but you know what? I didn't even say anything. I just said if it needs a big ass, and I said your name. I was just asking for your comment, that's all. Okay, well, I've given you my comment. <laughs> a fan says, hi, panel. I love the pod. I'm an avid listener. However, I have to admit there is a sense of unfairness and hostility towards Manchester City. As Barry's famous prediction in 2011 that Arsenal might win more trophies than Manchester City in the next decade is a memorable example. Uh, downplaying City's achievement to reach 100 points and retain the league in 2018, the first team to do so since Manchester United in the 2000s, and often downplayed domestic treble. Barry, what say you? Barry, you and your pert ass, what say you? <laughs> um, I like watching City play, uh, so I admire them for that. But, you know, they were taken over by a nation state which holds money at them, brought in all these terrific players, you know, brought in the best manager in the world and gave him everything he wanted are needed to make them a success. Um, they've, they've just signed arguably the best young striker in the world, if not the best striker in the world. And the manner in which they've done it is financially is questionable, to say the least. So I'm not sure why I'm expected to get excited about that, because I'm not a Manchester City fan. And I always am perplexed by fans of teams who, who can't figure out why people who aren't fans of their team aren't as interested in their team as they are or aren't as G'd up by the achievements of their team as they are. I, I don't really care whether Man City win anything or not, but I do enjoy watching them play. Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's, the th it's the thing with Manchester City, and I, I think you have it with other successful clubs, and you'll maybe get it with Newcastle, and it's this idea that why can't you? That it's not enough just to enjoy the success the team is having. That they, they 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 seek a respect from other people that they're probably not going to receive because other people don't like other teams winning. And also, there is that question over the way that Manchester City made the money. And this is the type of thing that sends City fans wild um, because other teams, you know, the sources of their funds may not be. Uh, particularly um, moral, but ultimately uh, there does it does appear this thing, and, and and other teams do it too. Manchester United did it in their day, and uh, 
and Liverpool uh, certainly have done it, are just saying that they deserve more respect. Well, the whole point of one of the whole point of football discussions is that a lot of respect really isn't handed out between football fans and football discussion. That's not really part of the game. Um, my suggestion to City fans is if you're really enjoying it, just keep enjoying it. Don't look elsewhere for something that you're not going to enjoy, which is the fact that other people may not enjoy that you're enjoying it. That's you know, a wider point about respect and disrespect that I've never really quite understood is how het up people get about being disrespected exactly sort of yeah. any walk of life. I mean, I feel like I'm often disrespected and I just go, all right, well, then I, I was disrespected today. It's okay. I'll just get up again tomorrow and see who disrespects me then. Um, so look, you, you mentioned Haaland. Uh, City triggered the £64 million release clause, a five-year contract till 2027. He'll earn £21 million a year, which is £375,000 a week. There have, Lucy, been some interesting articles about whether um, it, it's a guaranteed success. I mean, obviously, £64 million isn't that much, which sounds ludicrous, for a player of his ability. But not doesn't necessarily mean he'll be brilliant in the Premier League for that Manchester City team, even though he probably will be. Yeah, I think he's got more chance of scoring goals than the average guy in, in the Manchester City team. I mean, it, he, do you know the thing about Haaland is that the clever moves that he's made, I think it's, I know a lot has been said about his dad um, receiving or not receiving money in moves, but I think it does help having that sort of advice, um, having a father who, so what he's done is he's gone little small steps. I've seen so many play, young players who have jumped um, you know, from Leeds to a much higher club at the time in the Premier League, and then they just disappear just because they're one of one of many of a similar sort of of level. But I think he's gone. Um, you know, when he, he went to Salzburg, and then he went to Dortmund, and they made sure that there was a a clause in there so that he could he could get out of that. I think that's the key thing for his move. But he is something else. I think there's. You know, he's a real outlier physically, isn't he, for his age group? And um, and I think that those sort of steps will will stand him in better stead to, to make that move up to Man City, to be honest. I mean, it's interesting that he's signing for for Manchester City, um, not just because he's a brilliant footballer and, and it'll be interesting to see how he fits in. Uh, he's played for Norway, who have been quite vocal as a team in their activism about the Qatar World Cup. They've stood behind banners saying human rights on and off the pitch. They've worn T-shirts saying fair play for migrant workers. Is there a hypocrisy, Barry, between standing against Qatar's human rights on one side and then the allegations that have been levelled against those owners of Manchester City? I think players tend to get a free pass when it comes to signing for clubs like that. We don't, you know, we criticise Eddie Howe, we criticise Newcastle's owners, we criticise Manchester City's owners. Occasionally we criticise the fans who go into frenzied, abusive rage on Twitter in defence of those owners. But the players, by and large, tend to get a pass, so... Should should they? I mean, I I don't know. Well, Well, I suppose if you look at the golf situation, like Greg Norman's absolutely... A, astonishing comments yesterday where he, he's in charge of this Saudi-backed golf breakaway league thing and he he made the comment that uh, um, you know sure they they cut up a journalist with a bone saw but you know you got to learn from you make mistakes and you learn from them and you move <laughs> on and you just go what the hell are you doing what are you saying man that's an incredible thing to say and he clearly has such an insatiable lust and or need for money that he will just compromise any principle he has to get more of it. And I, I, I don't have, I personally don't have a huge problem with players signing for these clubs with questionable owners. Uh, lots of clubs have questionable owners, but I, I probably should have. Yes. I mean, one thing that is Greg Norman is, in his 60s at least, isn't he? So, you know, he's a, a, a sentient adult and some of these players um, maybe are not. The other thing I was going to say was my memory is that back at the early days of the Roman Abramovich regime, there was this idea floated around <clears throat> that certain players looked on uh, Chelsea as uh, a bit of a nouveau riche 
considerably richer than you option and not quite of the elite, you know. So at the time, the elite would be Real Madrid, AC Milan, Bayern Munich, the usual stuff. And uh, certain players of the, let's say, uh, you know, let's say Generation X age group, we're looking at it like, oh, this is just a, a joke. But what happens eventually is that players and their agents move towards that club and then it becomes okay to go to Chelsea so that by 2006 Shevchenko who is the best striker in the world goes to Chelsea and it's all okay to go there and that sort of is sort of what will has followed a bit with Manchester City you know they got the Rubinho the the mercenary in inverted commas and then eventually they're signing players like David Silva and uh, eventually they end up with Haaland the player that everybody else wants and we'll probably see the same with Newcastle, where they did, it, it seemed to me, struggle a little bit to get players to start off with. But as soon as Kieran Trippier goes through the door, as soon as some other players go through the door, other footballers look at it and go, well, they're doing it, I'll join it. And then that moral issue that we may discuss, that's probably not discussed among footballers. I mean, I mean, you see actually the Norway players wearing those T-shirts. Like Some players clearly do think about these bigger issues, but I, I guess... Not many do, and I don't know if we should blame them or not. Listen, we talk about them being advised and the people around him, but everything like that, they live in their own little bubble, so sometimes they cannot even see out of, of that bubble and what, what the normal person thinks. And I think for, for a lot of time, that actually works for them because it's, it is quite a lot of um, stress uh, playing at that sort of level. But I do think that that players will discuss it, and some will have absolutely no clue, and others will be, you know, quite forceful. A little, little bit like, you know, it's like a little um, ecosystem of of, um, of people within a club. They they don't really. And when we get onto Wagatha Christie, that's a similar sort of thing when people just live in their own bubbles. But there will be ones that who who um, you know have really strong thoughts on it and try and sort of affect others, but. Most of them will be just advised to just keep your mouth shut and play football, to be honest. Uh, Villa Park then, Aston Villa 1, Liverpool 2. Uh, no side has won more points from losing positions in the Premier League this season than Liverpool. Uh, Sadio Mane with the uh, the winning header. Um, many people asking, as Marcus does, I know the answer to this question, but would Barry have been able to score that Mane header, Barry? Oh, absolutely not. That was a great header. Because um, he had to sort of lean back and... It came at him like a rocket and, and then the manner in which he steered it past Martinez was superb. Um, I wasn't hugely convinced by Liverpool last night. I thought they were kind of lucky to get get the win but uh, and it was a good performance from Villa who can be very up and down, mainly down in the recent times but um, no, no, I would not have scored that header. Well, I, I've learned tonight that I wouldn't ever score any goal in the top flight. <laughs> You'd have match. scored it with your bum, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> very, <laughs> very good goal by me, said Sadio Mane. Um, I mean, I, Liverpool have a lot to think about, John, at the moment, don't they? Fabinho got injured. Yeah. They are smart enough to know that, of course, they need to win these last two league games, but that looks very unlikely. And now they have, they've got two cup finals. I mean... And they are literally cup finals. Aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's not a relegated manager saying every game from now is a cup final because <laughs> just every game it, is it, a cup final. It yeah. is a cup final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, listen, if they're not if they're not going to win the league, they could almost do with that being out of the way, couldn't they? You know, I mean, obviously they don't want City to win, but to concentrate. And then, yeah, you're starting to stack up injuries and. Fabinho in particular is one that sends horrors down the backs of Liverpool fans because he's so important to the team, the way that he's made them tick um, <clears throat> and the way that when last season, when uh, Jurgen Klopp had to put him in defence, that the team fell apart in midfield. They don't have a player like that, as as good a group of midfielders as they have. Um and yeah, we're at the point where, I mean, the Chelsea game, obviously, uh, we'll probably talk about it, was a fairly rugged affair. Um, and you're at the point where players miss out on cup finals. One thing about players missing out on cup finals, players missing out on cup finals, my memory is that this is the worst thing that could ever happen to a footballer when I was a kid. You know, that, that someone's racing to be back for a cup final. These days, Liverpool and Chelsea play in such high stakes 
matches all the time. Is missing the FA Cup final as bad a thing as it used to be? Are, are you saying, John, has the FA Cup lost, lost its it. magic? Is, <laughs> well, is that, is that... <laughs> well, no, I'm not, I'm not going down that route because actually the FA Cup final last year, the Leicester-Chelsea game is one of the best games I remember for a long time. And it, it really felt like it lifted everybody because there was crowds there for the first time and all that. I thought it was excellent. I think the FA Cup's been very good this year, but... That that feeling of, you know, will Brian Robson make it to play at Wembley? You know, get, get, yeah, the rate fitness tests and, you know, the updates and stuff like that. People don't really seem to have the same problem. Maybe that's a because teams have big squads, of course. Possibly. Uh, People aren't just staring at teletext anymore, John. No. To see no, if yeah, Fabinho's you, fit. Um, on that thing about Fabinho and, and, you know, he's so important, Lucy. A lot of people said, well, look, Jordan Henderson can, can fit in there, but... That is a different position that Henderson plays. And it isn't as simple as just dropping from an eight to a six. I mean, it sort of changes where you are on the pitch and what you do. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, and also it's the sort of combination Fabinho and, and Thiago. I think, you know, the, the stats, the Liverpool games that I've done this season, looking at the stats of when those two, two play together. I mean, they've done well. I mean, he's got to the stage, Klopp, where he now is like last season they had the injuries now that he's got a, a subs bench full of players work that can affect the game and it not not really lower the standards and I think that's from maybe going into the Inter Milan game um, the knockout game in I think it was March time where he had a fully fit squad basically but still Fabinho and Thiago that combination is unbelievable because for me, he's like a pickpocket Fabinho, you you sort of watch him, and he anticipates where the ball's going to land. You can't. That sort of thing is is so difficult to do as a footballer. It's not really the uh, all singing, all dancing part of being a footballer. But those two centre backs and him is the way that they defend. Simon says, uh, "Who was the better January signing for Liverpool, Luis Diaz or John Moss?" Um, granted, it's not fair on John. I like John Moss. He's a nice man. Um, Stephen Gerrard, really not happy with him. When told John Moss is retiring at the end of the season, Stephen Gerrard said, good. That is not, <laughs> not on, is it? That isn't fair. Um, anyway, I like John Moss. He's a nice man. Um, and I, I don't know if he had a terrible game. You know, It's not easy being a referee. Uh, Lucy, yes. I th- yeah, I think it's fitness. I, w- I, w- I sort of had half an eye on that, and it, it, it's sort of fitness, isn't it? Keeping up with play, so so difficult as a, a as a referee, and you've got to be. I mean, they have fitness tests, don't they? But I suppose he can see the beach, can he? If he's retiring at the end of the season, he can see the beach in the in the distance, and perhaps he's. I'm not saying he's let himself go, but um, perhaps he's not at the level he once was. But yeah, he's he's a he he, he was. He was James Milner's teacher at one point, wasn't he? I, it, obviously, I, I, everything has a Leeds slant um, from this end. Harland was born in Leeds as well. Um, James Milner, obviously, is a, a legend of, of um, Leeds. But yeah, John Moss was, I think, his teacher. Sure he was. To, to, to be a good referee, do you need a big bum? Is that the... Uh... Probably best if you don't have one. Uh, yeah, people yeah, can't yeah, get like around it. you. That's <laughs> the thing. So, Baz, take, cross off referee from your future career. <laughs> I like the idea. I like the idea of John Moss being on the a referee being on the beach. Just stay, you know, my Sunday league refs just standing in the centre circle, you know, or that very famous story of the referee in Manchester who, when it was raining, just drove his car to the halfway line, honked the horn for a foul, and indicated which way <laughs> the decision would go. Anyway, uh, Aston Villa reports that they've signed Coutinho permanently, so um, uh, we'll talk about them next, probably in the Premier League previews which are probably in about a week, aren't they? You know, football never stops. Uh, And that'll do for part one. Part two, uh, we will begin at Elland Road. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Martin says, Dear Max, Barry and everyone, on the subject of a US tour, let me be the first to invite you to stop in Philadelphia. I'd be happy to treat the cast to Philly cheesesteaks, Scrapple, wah-wah hoagies, and other Pennsylvanian delicacies. Despite the reputation of Philadelphia sports fans for surliness, I'm sure you'd greet you all with cheers and not with the snowballs we so famously threw at Santa Claus. 
Even without a stop in the city of brotherly love, I hope your plan comes to fruition and that you're receiving an outpouring of support from fans as I will surely travel to New York City or Washington DC if those cities make the cut. Since I started listening about five years ago, the mentions of European live shows have often left me jealous and sad, hoping that one day you'd find your way here or thinking that I will have to coordinate a trip to Europe to catch one there. Football Weekly enlivens my commutes and my indoor cycling rides. I look forward to the tour and other podcast merchandise. Uh, Thank you for all you're doing. So listen, if he's prepared to go from Philadelphia to New York or into Europe, then if you live in Birmingham, you should be at least be prepared to go to Birmingham. Uh, <laughs> we have not sold enough tickets there. Uh, but yes, 13th of June in Leeds, 15th in Birmingham, 19th in Manchester, 5th of July and 4th of July in Dublin, 8th and 9th of July in London and 13th of July in Glasgow. Go to myticket.co.uk. Uh, Alex says, do you think it was Gandhi or Mother Teresa who said, go in studs up early doors? <laughs> um, <laughs> this is uh, uh, after reports that Jesse Marsh was uh, taking inspiration from Gandhi, Mother Teresa and Muhammad Ali uh, in his attempt to help Leeds avoid relegation from the Premier League. Um, and Lucy, uh, Dan James, what's he doing? I, it's compl- like in the, for the second game in a row to just give up your chances when it's so it's so desperate and every point matters. I mean, I don't know if Jesse Marsh has told them to to do it. I don't know if he blamed the manager, but it's just so, it must be so depressing to see that as a Leeds fan. Yeah, I, I, let me just set the scene here. So I walk the dogs, our dogs, on the morning, and we come across various Leeds fans, and it's just getting progressively worse. Oh, I, I'm glad I'm not out this morning with them because they are absolutely at, at, at their wits' end. They just think that all the progress from the Bielsa era has completely been destroyed and um, by wrong decisions at various points, you know, dur- during the season. And we got ourselves in such a good position last season. And I honestly think that the powers that be just got pissed on the position and how well they did last year and didn't m- ensure that second season, and I know people talk about second season syndrome, but it is that there is that you know the high level of the clubs and the teams that you, you're facing means that they do they, they do adapt to the way that you're playing. But mostly, these players had we're going into their fourth season of extreme training, extreme no days off, and I think they just came to the end. But you, you, everybody could see that, so I don't understand why the powers that be at Leeds couldn't see it. You know, in January they thought. They gambled really in January. They didn't sort of bring any um, players in to sort of protect the injury-ravaged squad. And then by the end of February, they decided that, you know, Bielsa couldn't do that. And I just think there's just been so many decisions over the the time. Obviously, they they didn't keep players fit. They had injuries to key players. Jesse March has had Cooper and, and Calvin Phillips back, not Bamford. But when you've got a small squad... And the manager insists on a small squad. That small squad has got to be absolutely robust and it has to be good enough to deal with. And I, and I just think that, that a combination of different decisions mean that Leeds are in this spot. And then they go out and they, and they actually look, to me, it looks like there's a substitute teacher in charge of a group. That's what it looks like. They don't really have that discipline. Somebody actually said that to me on Twitter. I think I tweeted at the time, I wouldn't want to be the manager that came in after to... Marcelo Bielsa, because I know exactly what people around here think thought of him beyond football. Um, and so anybody on a, on a hiding to nothing. But I'll tell you what the, the problem was. There were, the, the gap between the Watford game and the Palace game was about 15, 16 days. And I honestly think during at the, at the end of that Watford game, everybody thought that Leeds were safe. So the players thought that they were safe and I think they had a few days days off at that point as you do when you it's a tough season and when you are then sucked back into a scrap and you're not really mentally ready for it and I, I honestly think that that's where everybody in Leeds everybody in Leeds didn't expect to be in this position now after that after that Watford game and they're getting three points at Watford the Dan James thing you know you said that it was a, a repeat of the Luke Ayling thing it's actually the third game uh, in which a, a Leeds player has gone out and done something like that because, of course, Stuart Dallas is out for the season and he, let's just say, his tackle on Jack Grealish was slightly indisciplined as well, nobbled himself. The, the Leeds yellow card total, which is pushing towards 100, 
is interesting. They've got 100 cards, that's right. 97 yellows, three reds, yeah. Yeah, which is, you know, it's a fairly sensational performance. Can I, I will say it, dirty leads. You know, um, <clears throat> now, where did that come from? What is Marcello Bielsa actually, as the, uh, uh, the great teacher to Pep Guardiola, the, the inventor of the tactical foul, Jesse Marsh is um, quoting from various historical figures. Is it just that he listens to Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire? <laughs> because it, it does appear to be that of that level. Um, and I'm not sure, as, as Lucy said uh, far more eloquently than I did, he's not really getting through to the players, is he? I think there was that point where we felt that maybe he had done a better, had done a decent job. Um, but actually, you look at Jesse Marsh's season as a whole, he was fired by RB Leipzig, who had great hopes for him. And then he's gone to Leeds and they got relegated. I'm not sure he'll want to remember this season too well. Yeah, not not relegated yet. From a Chelsea point of view, Barry, I mean, I enjoyed Lukaku's goal because it, it seemed like some Leeds fans laughed at him because he looked like he miscontrolled it. And they, you've just got to not laugh until the move is finished. I think that's a sort of bit of advice. But but Mason Mount, that goal means he's got 11 goals and 10 assists this season. No English player has had more goal involvements. And in my mind, he hasn't done anything this season. But perhaps I just have, you know, it all. I know it all melds into one and I can't really remember what happened yesterday. But that's a, an impressive season from a, a wonderful footballer. Yeah, Um well, I mean, there's always been the talk, is Mason Mount underrated? And uh, I don't think so. Uh, or, or sorry, is it was, was the talk whether he's overrated or underrated? There was there was talk that like, he was Frank Lampard's pet and, yeah, possibly wasn't as good as, as Lampard thought he was. But he's an excellent footballer. And um, But like you, yourself, I can't remember a huge amount he's done, but he has done a lot. Uh, he's also got a, a haircut that makes him look even younger than he already is, which, you know, is nice for him, I suppose. Yeah, uh, we should mention Christian Pulisic scored the other one. That was a lovely finish as well. So Chelsea pretty much nailed on third, or certainly nailed on top four. I mean, Arsenal, if they beat Spurs tonight, could be within a chance of getting third. Uh, Brendan noticed that uh, Matthias Click came on for Lewis Bate, and that is a substitution which is clickbait. Uh, <laughs> which I very much enjoyed. Um, uh, and so then Watford nil, Everton nil. I mean, this was not a good game. All the highlights seem to be Everton players rolling the ball into Ben Foster's hands. He made one good save, didn't he, Ben Foster? But, you know, my apologies to anybody who actually went to this football match. But Watford have uh, have got a new manager, which happens most weeks, doesn't it? Um, uh they have appointed Forest Green manager Rob Edwards. And Jim says, is all vegan fare as salty as Forest Green's statement about their manager leaving for Watford? Uh, here is the Forest Green statement. It says, Forest Green Rovers confirms the departure of head coach Rob Edwards. Rob was a key part of the team that gained promotion to League One this season. We're disappointed that our support, loyalty and honesty towards Rob has been repaid in this way, with negotiations taking place behind our backs. We had no contact from Watford, from whom we might expect less but in any event this kind of behavior gives football a bad name we thank rob for all his work at forest green rovers forgive him the manner of his departure and wish him well doesn't sound john like they're completely forgiven him in that statement uh no um good luck rob edwards uh don't expect forest green to call you when you get fired by watford six months into the season um yeah uh he's done a great job there um obviously. Um, and I have to say, actually, uh, it is a departure for Watford, isn't it? Because we were used to them going for a, uh, a, a more continental or higher profile manager. Uh, I mean, the last two, um, obviously, Ranieri and uh, Roy Hodgson, you know, they were moving into the senior citizens aspect. And uh, Rob Edwards is a young, thrusting manager. Uh, and obviously, someone uh, who's very ambitious and willing to take the risk of uh, taking a job at Watford, uh, for which the um, life expectancy of a manager is not long. But um, good luck to him, uh, which is something that won't be said by those at Forest Green, which is, which no. is sad, which is sad, really, because he did a great job and they should remember that as a happy season. And look, Lucy, there's a pecking order in football, right? We all know it exists. It's all annoying when 
a bigger club signs your best player or takes your manager. That's just how football is. Yeah, it I does make me laugh. The um, owner of Forest Green is on television more than the actors of Coronation Street. Every time I turn around, he's 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 on there with his his nice scarf, and he wasn't happy the other day. But yeah, that, that that's it. I mean, it's just like footballers. You know, I I always used to tell the lads that they were self-employed as footballers because if they perform well, then the club will benefit, and if you didn't, then the you know you'd go somewhere else. The club wouldn't wouldn't have you. So all the way through, you're earning your next contract, and I think in a way that's. Like a, a manager, you have to take the opportunities that come your way. And I'm suppose, you know, he will be sacked by Watford at some point, I'm sure. Uh, but ho- he will be hoping that, that, you know, his profile is raised enough to, to then get some something somewhere else. But yeah, there is a there is a pecking order. But Watford, perhaps, they say they're going to change the tune in terms of, you know, more long-term thought. And they've obviously picked a manager with that in mind, a younger manager who can, can build. But there's a lot of... There's a lot of big heads in that Watford squad, and you know, I wouldn't fancy sort of as a young, wet behind the ears manager trying to get a grip of those. And um, just for listeners who don't know, when you say you've been talking to the lads, what what roles have you done that involved, you know, academy kids and and, and youth teams? And sorry, Max. So basically, I, I was head of education at Leeds for for about sort of seventeen years. Um, so basically, that's like the welfare of of, of young lads, and it's it's so important because if the if the lads are not happy as youngsters, then they're never going to make footballers, and hardly any of them make footballers anyway. But so you want to produce a, a young man who's got a rounded education and view of life, and that the, the the academy system is sort of help them or being positive for them in the way but it doesn't always work out that way because they, they hang their hats on, on being professional footballers so uh, you know when I'm talking about speaking to lads you know it's that's basically was the, the my job to try to ensure that the lads could progress the first team if they were good enough and or progress to something that, that made them happy in, in their life so it's it, it is it was a massive thing and then I worked for the Premier League as well because I think Man United youth team won the youth cup last night um, and when I worked for the Premier League a couple of years ago Man United were one of my teams and you have to have one-to-ones with these these young men to see how they're going on on, the, on their um, apprenticeship the two-year apprenticeship and the captain of Man United a lad called Reese Bennett they brought in quite a lot of foreign players they've recruited very very well obviously the proof is in the pudding of them winning the the, the youth cup but it's interesting that, that I had the one-to-one with him and he was basically saying I've been here a while and know that I'm not the star player that they're bringing in, but I will work five times as hard as the rest of them. And he was scored last night, was captain of the Youth Cup winning team. So I think that's a message to a lot of, of young lads that if if you don't work hard, you've got absolute, and you don't have the right attitude, you've got absolutely no chance. Worth mentioning, I think 68,000, what's that? You know, Man United fans, so, you know, they're still they're still backing their club, aren't they? I mean, how it sounds quite a difficult job that Lucy, in that. Well, I don't know how difficult it was when you sat there with a footballer and you were just like, you knew that all they wanted was to make it as a professional footballer, and how difficult it is to either you're obviously not the one releasing them, but who you probably knew who was or wasn't going to make it, or ones who were really good who just had an attitude already. You've got to kind of you need an ego to play, right? But you need to manage that somehow that's a very tricky balance it is it is a balance because it's you, you have to i mean obviously i was making sure that the, that they did education and made sure that their welfare and safeguarding etc was good but they end up with me probably being a, a woman coming to me and with any issues and i made sure that sort of that the, the the communication between staff and players were, was correct as well but it's difficult because you you know I, I I'd wait outside the release meetings or I'd sit in release meetings and I'd be in tears like the parents would be in tears because you know you, you the, these kids you, you live the role I lived the role twenty four seven and you know I would uh, you know I'd I'd answer the phone in the middle of the night to things that had gone wrong or I'd celebrate when things which is I, I used to get hammered from Leeds fans or fans in general on Twitter for celebrating the successes of my lads because the there's not the few and far between. Um, and you, you know, you, Calvin Phillips, you know, I, I was, when he played in the Euros final, Calvin came to us as a, as a f- nearly 15 year old, um, great family, you know, one parent family and, you know, it was tough for them. And then he's playing in a Euros final. And I think the BBC asked me to do um, 
uh, uh, write a letter to him and then read it read it out and they used it in the in the montage before uh, and I think it's difficult because I was in tears by the end of the first recording um it, it's you, you you're part of them if you if you don't invest fully in in a, a young lad that you're trying to support then you don't do your job properly and it's it, it was quite tough in that respect but Whatever they do, whether they play for England in the Euros final or whether they go to university or whether they get a job or have a family, whatever it is, it's still a, whatever success, I still sort of feel it and I get the reflected glory from it. Uh, let's go to the King Power, Leicester 3, Norwich 0. Um, uh, so Jamie Vardy's two goals, taking up to 150 league goals, 130 Premier League goals, 0.49 goals per game. He's 35 years old, not necessarily the Vardy that everybody is talking about. Um, <laughs> Pete says, I don't care about any of the football. I just want 10 minutes of analysis from Barry on the Wagatha Christie trial, please. Um, I, I don't know about anyone else, but Jim Waterson uh, uh, from The Guardian, who's following the trial, is tweeting out excerpts. They're very hard not to read, aren't they? Um, day two, Vardy is being cross-examined about text to her agent about Riyad Mahrez. Vardy, Mahrez not turned up to training again. The lads are fuming. Agent, really? Question mark. Why don't you tell... Sky reporter Rob Dorset. It's <laughs> just great text message to send to anybody. I might just say that when anybody sends me news, I'll just say, why don't you tell Rob Dorset? Vardy, I just don't want it coming back on me. Uh, Vardy's asked if the info came from the Leicester City dressing room, which included husband Jamie. Did you or did you not know that the, quote, lads were fuming? She said it was gossip. Quote, I had heard and overheard. Jamie and I never discussed whether, quote, the lads were fuming. Um, Barry, your analysis. Oh, look, it's um, a very unedifying spectacle for the parties involved, particularly Mrs. Vardy, Rebecca Vardy, who you could be forgiven for thinking was the defendant in this civil claim, libel claim, but she she's act, the one who actually is suing Colleen Rooney for libel. I find it uh, as as unedifying as it is, and uh, we should all, you know, wave sympathetically in the direction of Peter Andre, who hasn't come out of it particularly well, despite having nothing to do with it. Um, but some someone's going to lose an awful lot of money over this, you know, over a million quid in in legal more. fees and compensation, possibly more, and you you wonder what the husbands make of it all, uh, Wayne and uh, Jamie, and why they couldn't have just gone for a pint and thrashed it out between them like adults. But it just is a great example of the bubble that these people live in, that she's that Rebecca Vardy is quite prepared for some of those things to come out in the quest to either win or lose even more money. I, I Honestly, I find it incredible. But I just wanted to add right at the end that I'm actually a wag and it's wonderful because my partner was um, manager of Leeds and played football for Barnsley for, for years and years and years. And it's absolutely fabulous. When I turn up to awards dinners as the wag and then I get... Are you all right, love? I bet you don't even like football, do you? And it's, like, <laughs> it's brilliant, honestly. Uh, it, it is the best. It, I, I actually every so often it's it's good to be a wag. Is that dogged central midfielder Neil Redfern? Yes, yes. Yeah. Hello, is. Neil Redfern. I didn't know that. It's walking I, the dogs, I, I, Max. I remember him as a winger for for Oldham. Oh, we get nostalgic yeah, again. Yeah, Here we yeah. Go. I just can't, I can't help <laughs> when myself. The cup had its magic. Yeah, Neil well, Redfern yeah. was running well, down the wing. Well, it did have its magic that year. It really did. Um, it was actually Neil Redfern Day yesterday when he scored the penalty. I think I tweeted out the video of, of about thousands of fans on the goal line waiting for him to take this penalty for Oldham to go up. And, and I got, how are you not nervous? And he said, I didn't know what score it was. He didn't know what he needed to do, to, which is probably <laughs> what you need. Don't tell anybody who's taken the penalty the score. But yeah, it was amazing. Happy Neil Redfern Day. And I'll do for part two. Part three, uh, we will talk about Celtic winning the Scottish Premiership. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. So Celtic won the Scottish Premiership uh, with a game remaining after that draw with Dundee United. Let's talk to uh, occasional contributor, Celtic fan, Jim Burke, Barca Jim. Hello, Jim. Hello, Max. How are we? 
Good, thanks. Keith says, ask Jimbo if it's acceptable to have beans with humble pie. E. Tim says, ask Jim, is that beans with humble pie? Anyone who follows you on social media knows you don't like baked beans on a fry-up. Uh, anyone who knows you knows you weren't that optimistic about the appointment of Ange Postacoglu. Um, would you like, on behalf of many Celtic fans, to just say, I was wrong? Oh, no, I was completely wrong. I was completely wrong. But, see, there's that perception, Max, that you don't need a lot of talent to be a success in Australia. <laughs> You've been waiting for that one oh, <laughs> for yes. a long time. You've had oh, half a yes. season to think that one up, haven't you, Jim? Um, oh, he yes. has done. He has done. Like you and Murray writing, you know, in today's paper, like, he transformed the atmosphere around Celtic. Uh, flown past a Rangers team, not at all weakened after winning the league, um, amid a Celtic squad rebuild, its refusal to berate referees, patronise opposition managers, or delve into the kind of small-time sound bites that old firm managers can lapse into is to his credit. He's 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 done everything right, hasn't he? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the thing is, I said to the boys after the game last night, if you'd said to me at the start of the season we'd win the League Cup and finish six points behind Rangers... I've just taken your arm off for that because that that was where we were. You know, we had no direction, nothing. And it just, I mean, I mean, I couldn't, I mean, when he, when Ange got appointed, I mean, I was not impressed, let's just put it that way, because I thought, well, this is just going to be more of the same. And then he came in and from his first interview, he thought, mm, hang on a minute, this guy might have something. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, and, and like the football you play, is great. His recruitment, like Furuhashi is a brilliant footballer, you know, Matt O'Reilly from MK Dons for one and a half million. I mean, this is just a lot of questions where I say he's really good, but like, like I don't really know what else to say. But that's exactly it, because I heard, um, I think it was in your pod somebody saying that in transfer, when it comes to transfers, if you can get 50% of them right, you're doing really well. But he's got 100% of them right. And apparently, we've, you know, he's already planning for next season. I mean, he's, I mean, it's incredible. It's just absolutely incredible how one man can impose his worldview on a huge club like Celtic because it's a huge club so quickly. It was, it's been an absolute... I, I, I genuinely can't believe we are where we are. It's incredible. And, and wasn't like part of the reason that Eddie Howe didn't take the job was he couldn't bring in his backroom staff? And so Ange came in on his own completely or pretty much on his own? Came in, came in on his own completely and... The, the the word on the street was that the guys that were there were basically said, look, if you can buy into what I'm doing, you can stay. And and that's been the story of it because literally everybody at the club and probably even the directors and whatever, right all the way down, everybody has absolutely bought into him and bought into his vision. And it's it's there's a sense of unity in the Celtic support that that I struggle to maybe Martin O'Neill's first season and maybe Brendan's first season. Um, but even then, there was always kind of wee murmurs about about those two, about with the real Celtic men and whatever, and all that nonsense. But um, he's just, he just got us all on board. It's incredible. Incredible. And, and a humility as well, Jim. Oh, unbelievable. I mean, even when there was that um, issue with the, the Scottish Football Writers Dinner, where they had the speaker and Ailey Barber walked out because of the sexist and misogynist stuff, and he was asked about it. And he just said, look, let's not make this a controversy. Let's make this something that we can learn from, you know, and, and, and try and do better. And it's just it's really, really, you know, really, really impressive on every single level, every single level. Uh, what are your hopes for next season then? You start thinking about, you know, because automatically into the group stage of the Champions League, which is massive, right? That, that, that wasn't a guarantee until... This season, was it? Yeah, this season, yeah, exactly. I mean, just more of the same. More of the same because the football's incredible. The, the atmosphere around the club's incredible. Our European, I mean, Europe this year, we weren't we weren't great. You know, we weren't great. And that was always my kind of little concern about Ange, that he couldn't be pragmatic in, in certain games. You know, was that, we're just going to do this. But what gave me a bit of hope was when we played Rangers in February and we were 3-0 up at half time. And we just managed the second half. You know, we just managed the second half. So, yeah, I, I mean, the Champions League is, I'm sure we're going to get a couple of right hidings 
in it, you know, because we'll be, we'll be pot four or pot three or whatever, you know, so we'll have two big clubs in there and we'll take a couple of hidings, but more of the same, please, as far as I'm concerned. And um, you and Murray tweeted last night, look, Celtic have so much going for them in 2022. The backdrop to an imminent title win at Tannadice is incessant pro IRA chanting. It's grim. I, listen, I remember back in Soccer AM, we stopped having Celtic and Rangers fans on that, you know, the soap on the, you know, in the Luther Blissett because they were singing songs that we didn't know were sectarian. And then halfway through the show, people were saying, you've got to get them to stop singing. I just, like, can you ever envisage a time? Look, it's not just Celtic and Rangers fans. Obviously they have a history. I've written about this. We've talked about it. Every set of, every football club has a set of fans. I just wonder how frustrating it is to hear that and to to think it's impossible to get to a stage where that won't happen. I, I don't think it will and I don't think social media helps because what you get is and I've got a lot of time for Ewan but what you look at the comments under that thing from Ewan yeah and it will be people saying you're talking rubbish because they see it as a wind up it's it's creating something I would rather they, they weren't heard at Celtic Park I've, I've felt that way for the longest time but the reality is it provokes a reaction it provokes a reaction for the opposition support and and that that happens not just at Celtic Rangers. We've seen it in the Liverpool games, seen it at United games. You know where it is. These chants are for one reason and one reason only to try and get a reaction from the fans. But because of social media, it's not just the fans on the ground that they get the reaction from. It's fans everywhere they get the reaction from. Do you think then, John, we should stop reporting? On I mean, it's a really difficult balance, isn't it? Because I, you know. Ever since football began, right, or certainly since I since going, there were horrible chants. You know, I sang some pretty daft, stupid ones. I like I wrote in this column. I I sang, you know, sign on, with because I didn't actually, you know, I didn't really know what signing on was when I was fourteen, right? Because I'm, you know, from the middle of from central Cambridge, right? <laughs> My parents weren't signing on, but like, do you think if we that they have always happened, they probably will always happen. It's a difficult to know what to do about it. I think you have to report on it. I, I don't think you can ignore it. I think at the Guardian, uh, in, on the desk, we report on this stuff, and I think you have to. You have to erase the awareness that it isn't right. And you know, as much abuse as you and receive for pointing that out, he's right to do so. Um, uh, uh, but unfortunately, as Jim says, uh, it's not likely to go away anytime soon because because of that aspect of people trying to get a rise out of each other. Um, you know, we, last time I think I was on the pod, we talked about the Hillsborough chants and they've been heard since then. Even if, you know, there's been a, a, a wide uh, decrying of that throughout the media, it doesn't stop certain people, but you can't just, you can't just ignore that because it might curdle into something else. You've got to keep pointing it out. You've got to keep banging that drum. Maybe one day, uh, things might change as uh, as as people mature, but unfortunately, football f- fandom is an immature business. Let's be quite honest at this. At the very roots of it, people lose themselves in the moment, uh, and then some people get themselves involved in stuff that they probably don't have a grip on, and they say these things, and then they defend it, and then you get all this debate about free speech. It's a it's a it's a nasty. Uh, part of football um, but I don't think you can ever turn away from it you've got to keep hammering it and saying that it's wrong to do it um, Jim you mentioned Ellie Barber walking out of the Scottish Football Rights Association Awards um, uh, it was during Bill Copeland's after dinner speech she said I can take a joke this was not a joke degrading women making homosexual jibes using offensive racial terms should never be funny um, you, you Lucy talked about you know being at awards dues and no one knowing who you were and whether you knew about football not that that's particularly relevant on this subject matter, I just wonder how brave you think Ellie was to to walk out because, you know, it's quite easy in those situations to sit on your hands, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I know Ellie, I've worked with her for years. I know her very well and and know the level of banter that that she can take. But there's there's a line, isn't it? And I think that she's now in a position where... um, when she does that, it has an effect and it makes people talk about it. And that's the most important thing. It shines a light on it. If she hadn't have done that, then then it would have just been maybe talked about a little bit, but not not that much. Now it's like, well, why? And then the Scottish football writers, they've had to to bring out a statement which they may as well have 
not not bothered with it. I, th- I don't think it was worded particularly well, but it's made people. It, it's it's shone a light on. And you can I'm not sure. You know, I, I understand. I can imagine exactly what it was like. I've listened to hundreds of of um, comedy in you know comedy moments that were using my fingers at the side of my head, but. Um, there has to be a line where it doesn't help in that situation when you're trying to include everybody and 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 you know and women within that and and with pushing for equality, then it it really doesn't help and, and shining a light on it like Ailey did was was brilliant as far as I'm concerned. Um, uh, Jim, have you celebrated enough? Do you want to celebrate a bit more? Or no, no, I'm fine, uh, and I actually was able to um, ignore two of Barry and I's favourite words last night: lock in. I managed. I managed to sidestep the lock-in last night, so I'm feeling quite chipper, and I'm just going to enjoy my day because it's just great. Good man, Jim. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Bye, bye. Jim Burke there, celebrating Celtic success. Kevin emails to say hi, y'all. Just a West Texas gooner here. My question is, what's hotter right now? My lovely 37 Celsius heat we've had for the last week or the Arsenal-Tottenham Thursday match at White Hart Lane where not only bragging rights are up for grabs but potential Champions League qualification. Does Arsenal's youthful side put them at a disadvantage that is too big to surpass as Thursday arrives? John, we're doing a pod tomorrow uh, on it so, uh, but I don't know what, you, what do you think will happen. Obviously, even if Spurs win, Arsenal is still in the box seat. Yeah, it's... It, it, it... I think the bigger pressure is on the final game of the season, really, isn't it, for for Arsenal, uh, even though that they won't see it like that. Um, I think the big question we've we've had against Arsenal, not just this season, but for years, is whether they have the um, uh, the fundamentals to, to deal with it with a fixture like that. Um, you have to suggest actually that 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 Spurs have blown it with the games against Brentford and Brighton. Um, it's it's a North London derby with a lot riding on it. It looks like, but actually, it probably doesn't. I think Arsenal are going to be in the Champions League next season, probably playing Celtic. So there you go. Who's winning? Who's in the? Who's getting in the Champions League? Barry, a prediction from you. Oh, I suppose Arsenal, but you know, you can't predict a game between two of the most unpredictable teams. Yeah, historically predictable teams in the Premier League. So. I'm, and and most of my predictions lately have been absolutely hideously wrong. So I, I'm mm. I remember saying. in 2011, you suggesting Arsenal would win more trophies than Manchester City. How young we were on the pod in those days. I don't even actually remember saying that. I'm not denying I said it. It sounds like something stupid I would have said, but uh, <laughs> I do, don't recall. At least you're giving Spurs any hope in this race for fourth? Mm, I know, but I do, I do like Conte. I do like what he does with them tactically. I do think he's getting to grips with them. I think the performance at Liverpool was was brilliant. So I'm looking. Hopefully, he'll be there next season. I'm looking forward to to what he does with them because I think he's top level sort of tactical. His tactical nous is is unbelievable. His attention to detail in terms of defending is brilliant. Um, finally, Glenn says, "Does John Bruin listen to Arcade Fire? And if so, what does he think of the new album? Thanks for all you do." Uh, no, uh, and no, no, I haven't listened to them. No, I, I never, I never thought they were very good. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I think our Welsh correspondent Ellis James is obsessed with Arcade Fire. Okay, I thought he had good taste, but there you go. Did you ever, John? Did you ever have like now twelve and go? This was good because this was you know now twelve was great. I had all of those things, yeah. I mean, the thing is, I actually do like pop music. Yeah, really, you know. Yeah, I've watched Top of the Pops every week still and all that type of thing. Yeah, I do I do like pop records, um, but maybe not Kendrick Lamar or, or Arcade Fire. I think I just sort of switched off in about 1991 from pop music. But before that, yeah, I loved it. And I, all the Now albums, well, they're an absolute education and you know, if, if someone sends you a link to to those now albums, uh, yeah, you're obsessed with them. What's the first song on uh, the first now album? Do you know this? On now one, yeah, I think oh, this is right. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, once in a lifetime, Talking Heads. Ooh, I think that's a bit. Well, that's that's actually that came out before that. I think that's from 1980. Kate Bush. No, no, English artist. I was going to go. Duran Duran Rio. No. Phil Collins, uh, yes. Another Day in Paradise. 
It, you got the artist correct. Okay. Um, Phil Collins. Susudio. Two Hearts. No, it was before. No, it's before that. I can't dance. Lucy, come on. Can we go to Phil Collins? It's a cover version. Though you might not know it is a cover version. No, you probably should. Uh, can't hurry, love. Correct. Ah, yes. oh, there we are. One point. Maybe we'll do a music quiz next time. Uh, well, look, clearly we've run out of things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't actually. We've got loads of things we didn't get to. We didn't get to Michael Owen's NFTs. We didn't get to the Champions League changes. We didn't get to lots of other things. We'll do them on tomorrow's uh, Friday special as well as the North London Derby. But for the time being, Lucy, thanks so much. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Come back again, please, if you'd like. Uh, John, thank you. Uh, oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Cheers, Barry. Thanks, Max. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. The Guardian Football Weekly was produced by Silas Gray and the executive producer was Max Sarnison. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.